welcome back to Gritty Leader Podcast. This week's episode is titled Beyond Startup, the 10 prerequisites for scaling up. And I'm here with, with Ian. Hello, Ian. Hi, Ben. Good to be back. Just the two of us chatting again. I like these head-to-heads. Have you had fun working this one up? I have had fun. And it's one of those things that started with, oh, this will be easy. You know, I can knock out these 10. And then the when I got 10 down, I thought, oh, there's something not in there. Where do I put that? And <laughs> what about this? And is there an order? So I had a lot of fun in trying to get 10 down. I I started off with kind of less, then I started off, then I went to more, and then it was the order, and it's a very interesting task. What about you? Well, I wrote 10 down fairly readily. I got to eight. I wondered, actually, do I only have eight prerequisites? Uh, And then I thought a little harder and came up with number nine Mm. and number 10. Now, as our listeners know, you and I, we haven't compared notes. We don't know what's on each other's lists and and so I'm really curious to to discover how this is going to unfold. Shall we start with an item that each of us feels is fairly fundamental is a you know a good a good starting item. Let's talk about a couple of those then maybe we can share our tens and and have a chat from there. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's a good way to go. It's going to be fun because you say this is live and I have got no idea what's on your list. So You sound a bit nervous, Ian. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, actually. I, I got really excited thinking about what this t- these 10 would be. So, um, yeah, I am. This is good. This is energy. OK, well, in that case, Ian, I'm, I'm going to let you go first. So 10 prerequisites to scale up. Mm. So we're out of startup mode. Mm-hmm. We're moving into scale up mode. Mm-hmm. 10 things that should be present in the business. Mm-hmm. Give us one that you think is a, a good place to start this conversation. Okay. This, interesting, I was looking at the businesses I've worked with over the last 15 years. And the ones that have been most successful, and maybe that's an interesting way to come at it, but the ones that have been really successful, I should say, have all had this one thing, I would say, right at the top. And without it, I think you can make it, you can scale up a bit, but I think you reach reach a plateau. So that's why this is at the top, bit of self-justification here. Nice build-up. Out with it, Ian. (laughs) It is a visionary and energetic CEO with a great sense of purpose. Okay, okay. And I think, you know, I I had others at the top and I thought, you know what, no, I think for me it has to be that person who kind of brings that energy brings that dynamism brings that team together gives them a great sense of purpose and direction and in all the great examples I could think of they have that and so I thought yeah okay that's good enough for me I'll put it number one put it at the top okay well I I've got one really similar to this but I've used slightly different words Mm. so so what I've jotted down is that the the leader the top leader they need to have gone from founder mode into CEO mode. Mm, Or they've gone from startup mode into chief executive officer mode. Yeah. I think there's a transition in that person. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I agree. And, and And a kind of constant transition as the business starts to grow. Well, that's good. We kind of, that's, uh, we've agreed. 
Well, well, kind of. What did you say? Visionary and energetic were those your two two words? I said visionary, energetic, with a sense of purpose. So I think there's got to be a, a kind of a, a, an idea at the beginning of a business. There's got to be a strong sense of purpose as to why we're doing that, which is transmitted to the team, the organisation. And I also think that this sort of sense of energy, which you know, great leaders give out when they walk in a room you know there is an uplifting feeling they'll give everyone and again I was just thinking back through some of the people we've had on the podcast like Patrick Oluanig recently Dom Gaynor a couple of manufacturing businesses I'm working through in the Midlands Jim Kirkwood I interviewed a, a couple of years ago on the podcast all of these people exude energy and drive and passion and you know, they really want to get there. I, 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 I don't like using the word charisma because I think that's, I, I don't like that word particularly. I think it's because it's, often people are kind of, it freaks them out and think you've either got it or you haven't. I think drive, energy, commitment, passion, vision, I think all those things are really important. And, and they tend to sort of gel a, a top team and get people wanting to follow them. Yeah, okay. So now, now we're getting on to what I was thinking on this point. But um, you don't like the word charisma, compelling, perhaps? Yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. good word for, the, for those that you're, you're describing there. They're compelling uh, in the business. For me, you're, you're describing there a quality that's probably present right from the start up, the early phase, before we get into to scale up, and it carries through. Mm-hmm. But you said something right at the end there which is inspires a leadership team and and this is where it is for me um that leader's got to move out of founder mode or if they're not the founder startup mode and into ceo mode and they they have to stop being a hero mm-hmm. they can no longer be doing whatever it takes as the company moves through that early part of its its journey yeah instead they need to start stepping back a little bit. They've got to be having their impact through a leadership team or a top management team. And that team, you know, that amplifies that that CEO. But also that team, of course, can achieve so much more than a, a single person. And and so this is one of the key transitions for me that that leader's got to have shifted from founder mode to CEO mode. We can see that that team exists. We'll talk more about that team, I'm sure. That team is on both of our lists. But they've got to be having impact through that leadership team. They've also got to become high-performing as a chief executive officer. You know, They need to understand high performance. They need to have done the inner work to get out of their own way to become a good leader uh, and to become effective at all of the things that a scale-up CEO needs to do. They need to have identified what those things are for their organisation. It will be different for every company, won't it? But there'll, there'll be an element of being an ambassador. There's definitely an element of, of being the strategist for the organisation. Strategy will be on both of our lists, I'm sure. They're an architect. They're building the organisation. They're getting right people in. They are setting the tone and the performance standard for the organisation, and they're the steward of the culture, which I bet is also on our lists uh, later on. But that's what I mean. When we're in startup mode, these are not the things that uh, it's more immediate, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Well, it, it, it's it's that, um, and and CEOs and leaders do it at different 
points in their progression, which is, as you say, get out of the way, stop being the blocker, actually, because that's what happens is you become the blocker to the organisational's growth if you're trying to do everything. I think that's how you put your finger onto this, when you get the sense that as that leader, you're becoming the bottleneck. Absolutely. Well, you can't scale up if you've become the bottleneck. And that's when you've got to achieve this transition. Okay, let's move on, because I had a different starting item, which is we've got to have product market fit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to reach that that point where we've moved beyond growing in, growing in anticipation of demand, and instead we've got demand-driven growth. Our product or service yeah, is satisfying real demands and needs of a specific market, and it's a significant market, and the market knows about us, and it's become easier to sell. In fact, we've got inbound uh, demand. It's beginning to kind of fly off the shelves a bit. Uh, we've got to get to that point. If we haven't got to that point, we can't scale. If we if we haven't got to that point, we still need to refine uh, our offering and how we're going to market. So this for me is a number one. We've got to get to that product market fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. And it's it's interesting you putting that as number one. I had my first sort of point under the visionary and energetic CEO was an, an original competitive idea. And within that was my product service experience that was that would be taken to market because without thinking that through without having that um, and often you know businesses are formed by maybe two or three people and and one's got the idea that they're going to take forward and it's taken from another organization or it's taken from a, a gap in the market and so on so I had that almost almost coupled with the the founder the CEO coming in and saying Here's the right me, here's the right CEO, and here's the right idea. Yeah, but it's it's not an idea. It's taking that idea and making it into the product and the version of the product that is really resonating and fully understanding what market segment it is yeah. and getting to the point where a number of customers have bitten our arms off for it. You know, We've gone beyond those first sales where we're working really hard mm to persuade them and we've probably found you know one little bit of the market where it gets a little bit easier but it's not enough Mm. Um, and we've carried on refining the products or the surface and the way we articulate it and understanding for whom this is really compelling and we've gotten to that point where all of this is really clear and we're really confident in that process and there's a shift away from us hunting down the next uh, prospects and customer each time they're coming to find us yeah. you know and ultimately you love apple you know there's a new iphone and they're queuing around the oh yeah around the block um down the road from me there's an amazing fishmongers mm-hmm. of all things there's amazing fishmongers every single day of the week there is a minimum 20 yard queue mm-hmm. all day long mm-hmm. they've got product market fit yeah yeah, that's what we need. If we're going to scale, you know, that's the point at which that fishmonger, it's called the fish shop, should be opening its second store, its third store, if you know, if their vision is scale, not yep. before. Yeah. So I, I suppose I wrapped a lot of the product market fit into my third point on the list, 
which was all about customer focus and in, in and trying to wrap different bullet points under different headings i also thought well yes it's about understanding who the customer is for this product or service for and I, this would be b2b and b2c um, who are emerging customer groups understanding really what they want they need they value getting their feedback understanding how they buy when they buy what price elasticity they've got all those sorts of things how we communicate with them and so getting that and I I kind of started that further down the list and put it then right up the top of the list which was yeah that real close alliance that understanding between what you've got this initial idea and how that turns into a product and then turns into a relationship with the customer and when you've got all those three, then you've got something that you can really start to scale. Yeah. Okay. And I would say, just to to make that really clear, if instead of saying understanding, we say knowing, hmm. knowing our customer, knowing their need, knowing how they use our products and service, knowing their reasons, then we're in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. So where did you go after your your sort of top one that you've just talked about well my top one and my top two we've done product market fit and then the leader has to have gone from founder mode into ceo yep mode then let's go and these can be in any order i think but the next one i thought about was was strategy mm-hmm. and strategy as we've discussed here many times looks so different whenever you pick it up and look at it but certainly at different stages of the company's growth when we're moving into scale up i think strategy looks pretty clear you know the vision is really clear the shareholder objectives uh, are clear strategy in the sense of our choice of approach to get to where we're going or to get to our vision. Mm -hmm. That's well thought through. It's really clear. It's understood by everybody. Mm -hmm. The part of strategy, which is having the structure Mm -hmm. in the organization that enables us to deliver the strategy, that also uh, is is really clear. And not only is it clear, that's a structure which is is scalable. Mm And the strategy uh, contains those clear shared goals which are communicated through all the teams uh, in the organization. Strategy is really clear. And I think quite often there's a shift in how we think about strategy. You know, we're communicating that clarity, we're reinforcing that clarity, but then it becomes really important to start thinking about you know, what are the what are the five big moves that are going to take us forward? Because if we think of strategy in that way, of course, as the market changes, some of those big moves change. So the way we work with strategy, I think, changes quite a bit. But strategy is super well-formed, super clear, super communicated at this point. Mm. Now, that's interesting because I've split out some of the things you've just spoken about into different headings. Mm -hmm. Because you've got a lot in there, you know, vision planning objectives goals um so there's uh, you know structure 
uh, all of which I've got on here, but it's, it's, I knew we'd have this. We'd have it in different areas under different headings, and that's fine because uh, as long as it's all here, I suppose, what we're saying. But the interesting thing about you putting that whole piece next is that I turned that round and I went with the first who and then what? So actually my next one was a cohesive and high-performing top team with no weak links. Because I guess the rationale for that was, and again, as you said, there isn't an exact order. It's a bit chicken and egg, this. I guess for me, it was saying, who have we got around that CEO we've talked about? Are they vulnerable, supporting, challenging? How well do they understand each other? Are they growth mindset? Have they got great discipline and focus and high standards? And if you get that bunch of people in a room, they're going to create great strategy. Chicken chicken and egg, isn't it? But I have the leadership team, the, the, the core team as well. I've described them very slightly differently. Uh, I said they're a real team, by which I mean they're genuinely close. They really know each other. They're having very real conversations. Uh, it's not a pseudo team, as we see in so many companies. They've done the hard work. Um, so it's a real team. I haven't used the words high-performing. In fact, I'm backing off the words high-performing team quite often because I think it's ambiguous. I use the words transformational. They're transformational team. They're probably doing two things. They are you know, really well coordinated and communicated and running the vertical parts of the the organization or the functional parts of the the organization but they're also going to need to take the organization through a number of transformations whether that is the first scaling where we get you know we double in size and there's twice as many people in the organization all of a sudden whether it's going from one office to to three, four, five offices, you know, if we've got a regional growth plan, whether it's going from being national to international. At some point as we scale, probably it's going from being a, a single revenue stream, single products and service, to multiple revenue streams, products and services. Each of these is a transformation. It takes shared ownership, shared leadership to make it happen. And that's the type of team that we need. And that team has also got to be you know, such a good communication channel. You know, it's through that team, everything gets linked in the organisation and we find out about stuff. Um, there's a point here also about, uh, and I thought more and more about this recently, uh, the experience in that team. Increasingly, I think... It can't just be the team of managers that started the business, which so often it is. It's so valuable to add one or maybe two people into that team who've got previous experience either of scaling up an organisation or of commercialising a product or or service and taking it quickly to you know uh, a bigger market. It's useful to have that scale-up experience in the team as well so but both of us are talking about exactly the same team here and it's fundamental mm, I think you're right I was talking to somebody the other day and I think if we look at the CEO I interviewed before Patrick Dom Gaynor if I look at his leadership team over the eight years I've known him 
quite a few of the original senior people are there, mm-hmm. but actually probably half the team are brand new now, you know, having gone from five tracks to over 40 tracks, mm-hmm. 20, 30 people to 1,000 people. They've brought people in from who, who have been there and done it. So when they've got a people director, they've found a great people director when they got to that level when they needed one. When they've got a... Uh, when they wanted a chief commercial officer, they've looked externally. And so they brought expertise in and blended it really well mm-hmm. with the people who who were in there near the start. And not uh, not all of them were able to make the jump to a more senior position, but they've all had roles there for them. So uh, that's that's the sort of put them in a slightly different seat but keep them on the bus because they've got the values, they've got the culture, they understand where the business is going, but maybe they're not quite right for that senior position which somebody brings that experience you've talked about and brings it in. Yes, and that's just one part, isn't it? The the bigger part is it needs to be a world-class team. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be a world-class team. Where are we going next, Ian? Well, I'll tell you what I've got next. A great set of values, role modelled by the top team and understood throughout the business. I think I think when you start a business, you don't need to even articulate the values because you sit there and you kind of all know what they are. I think when you start to get a bit bigger, it's really important to sit down and say, what are we all about? Because when you get beyond sort of person number 30, you you, you start recruiting employees uh, rather than 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 people you know and almost sit in the same room with and I think when you start when you start doing induction programs and training programs and you start being much more professional with pitches and presentations to the external world and you start bringing building websites and so on and really quite sophisticated organizations they need to have a central spine which is based on a, a culture which is based on a set of behaviours and values. And I think getting that right early on and then allowing that to be something that's used for everyone, but most especially perhaps in role modelling the top team in the way they make their decisions. And also I think one of the conversations you've got to have, and I put it under here, which was honest accountability discussions about behaviours in the organisation, which is sometimes avoided or people find them hard to do, you can only really have those which are essential to the growth of an organisation if you've got a set of values that people understand, they know the behaviours behind them and they know how to hold people to, to account against them. So to me, that went you know, really quite high up the list of articulating them carefully and then engaging everyone in the organisation. And then you can come back to the senior leadership team and say, right, are we all living these? And we know that organisations break down quite quickly if you've got somebody who might be great on performance but poor on values and behaviours at the top of an organisation. So, again, it gives you a conversation in that top team. Are we all living these? How much how much do they matter to them? What, what are we tolerating? And, and great conversations like that. Yeah, I have culture as well. And if we're scaling up, there's so much going on. There's so many challenges. The last thing we need is our culture going sideways and suddenly people pulling in different directions and behaviours uh, that are distracting from the, the the task at hand. I jotted down, we're doing values-based hiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 As you say, yeah. it's instinctive when we're small. Yeah. Later on, it's particularly when there's more people doing the hiring, values-based hiring. 
staying authentic, that piece around are we living the values? When it comes to a hard decision, do we make it according to the values? Because that really reinforces or undermines uh, our values. I think there's a second thing I think about culture. And uh, when Emma Simpson was on on the pod, she and I were talking about this. And, you know, and I, I said to her, Emma, you know, we often hear culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, and she said every day of the week. Uh, and I agree. And in fact, I think the link isn't culture and strategy. The link is culture and performance. If we have great culture, then the company can do great things. It can perform really well. And if we perform really well, then the company's doing well and it can invest in that great culture. These are the two things that go hand in hand. And as we get into a scale up, I like to start thinking of the idea of a team of teams. Mm -hmm. The org chart becomes insufficient to kind of describe and manage a scale up. It's better to think, in my view, it's better to think of a team of teams. So another part of the culture is, do we have a team of teams? Do we really understand what a real team is, what an optimally performing team is? Do those teams have strong identities? Are they all impactful? Does that all fit with the values uh, that underpin the organisation and and our culture? So, yeah, strong culture which contains a team of teams. Absolutely. We're um, we're pretty much aligned so far. I'm sure it was going to go pear-shaped soon, but <laughs> where, did, where did you go next, Ben? I think we've covered a lot of the fundamentals. Maybe the, the, the next one that I guess is, is kind of fundamental rather than a feature that we would expect to see as, a, as an organisation moves into scale-up and moves through scale-up. Uh, and you've touched on this already. But customer acquisition. Yeah. This part is is so clear. And I haven't written marketing and sales because yeah, you know, there's more channels than that. Yeah. And and some organizations, you know, they'll grow acquiring customers through partner channels and all sorts of, of different ways. So it's it's a broader topic than marketing and sales. It's it's customer acquisition. Is it repeatable? You know, do we know exactly how to do it? Are we doing it consistently with confidence and, and clarity? Is it throttleable? You know, so can we control the pace of it? Can we answer the question? You know, if if we need to, can we increase our pipeline? Do we know how to do that? Do we know how to turn the taps on and off? Um, if we really understand our uh, customer acquisition, we're going to be able to do do that. And it's across a number of channels. Because if we want to scale up confidently, it's nice, essential to not be relying on just one or two channels. Let's have, let's have three or four, please. And then we can have great pace to our scale up, even as the market shifts a little bit and different segments do better or worse. And we get following wins in some places and and headwinds in the other but that customer acquisition bit is is super clear and we can throttle it and if we need to we can increase our pipeline mm. yeah i didn't use sales and marketing and and, and like you I, I put customer focus and yeah and kind of wrapped it all under there but i think it is it's definitely in that top number of areas to to focus on and get right early on mm-hmm. 
I suppose where I went next, which is I think what you've covered actually, which is I went to, and and this was as you say, this isn't fifth in the list. This is further further up, and you have to do a lot of these at the same time. But it was um, a, a clear a clear vision. Uh, and as you know, I kind of subscribe to the kind of vivid vision Cameron Herald style with uh, robust one year plans, three year uh, less granular KPIs that then start to go down through the organization into departments and start to give you a structure with objectives, goals, depending on what model you approach and have, whether it's OKRs or 135s or what your what your model is that that builds back up to the plan and then back up with line of sight to the vision. So that whole piece around vision, BHAG, goals, objectives, KPIs, right the way down to the individual person, the individual objectives um, that can be linked back and forth side to side within a business, getting that in place. And, and what I said earlier is that each of these parts of strategy is really clear and probably very consistent and, you know, and almost fixed slowly changing mm. uh, at this point because we've got product market fits you know and we're we're scaling now but what we've not talked about and i think is is super important uh in a in a scale up is that strategic process that strategic cadence the uh the leadership team that top management team whatever that team is called how it's operating you know whether that's the way it's connecting into the business and the conversations that happen and how it all feeds up and then their their quarterly strategic offsites quite often one day two day the annual process this is really clear and within it and I think this becomes the most important part of strategy actually and let's say it's quarterly because that's nice and nice and easy the idea that we have progress every quarter Every quarter, we know what our strategic priorities are for that quarter. The, the three, four, five things we're going to do this quarter to springboard us forward to the next quarter. You know, take us into the, the future. These are really clear in a scale up. Those four, five, six strategic priorities and we have progress on those and we measure that each quarter. And this is where it can feel super chaotic, super busy in the heart of a scale up and if we can change that so that we it feels that we're just managing these four five six strategic priorities and progress against those then we can manage our our scale up and of course that's a it's a big ask because uh, how do we get into that that position but that's what we're looking for we want an organization a team of teams that is kind of communicating confidence about the current quarter you know, we're going to win our customers. We're going to deliver for our customers. We're going to develop and build our pipeline and convert and our hiring is on track. They're communicating confidence about this quarter and that creates the space where we can focus on those four, five, six strategic priorities that are going to keep us growing. Yeah, well, once again, we've kind of followed on a sort of logic here, haven't we? Because I had as my next mm -hmm. kind of three things, but I suppose I could bunch them under the heading of putting structure and discipline. And in some ways you could call it automation into the business. The first thing I had was brilliantly planned and facilitated meetings focused on outcomes, not discussions. 
And that would be for the whole organization. But included in there, I had sort of your monthly strategics, your, um, you, you know, your annual planning days away, but down to your tactical daily huddles, your, your weekly tactical meetings in, in teams and departments. But then, as you've said, probably the most important one is those quarterlies get off site, probably have a dinner with the top team, start thinking bigger picture, start looking at how the market's shifting how our products and services are doing, you know, I call it looking up leadership. Instead of looking down into the business, you get off site every quarter, you look up, you look out Mm -hmm. and you say, what's going on? And, and, And then you look at our capability and whether we're up for the future and you look at different trends. Yeah. And uh, and so I think, as you said, those those sort of quarterly and I, I probably your experience is similar to mine, I guess, which is you get the monthly meetings in uh, early, you get the kind of uh, department meetings in and maybe you get the daily huddles in. But these quarterlies then start to make a big difference if you start to get these in into a top team um, because you're, you're thinking bigger. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is why the top leader has to be out of founder mode and into CEO mode. Because if that hasn't happened, then that top leader, whether they're the founder or the CEO, doesn't have space or capacity to lift their head up and you know, and look about and consider the future or get up into the stands and look down on the pitch and see what's what's really happening. And then that's why we need a real team because it enables the CEO to do that. But then that's why we need the the culture in the organisation and that team of team structures. Because when we get that right uh, and everything's aligned and we're doing our values-based hiring and we're authentic in the organisation and those that team of teams is where all of our performance is, well, that's when you know the those teams, are, they begin communicating confidence in the current quarter and at that point, the leadership team or the top management team, they have capacity to lift their heads up and look around and anticipate the future or respond to, to what, what's, what's going on outside, what's coming down the line uh, at us, or to look down onto the business and, you know, and see there's some parts of the business we need to optimise. Um, I, I think this is so important. We're describing you know, this process of creating that space mm. uh, around the top leader and the top team. Mm. It's, and it's a regular thing, isn't it? As the business keeps growing... You've got to keep looking at yourself and saying, "What am I doing?" Totally. And is is this the job the organisation need? Is it the job I'm I paid for? Is is and, and not for the CEO, not just for the CEO, every person on the top team. And then that's when the, suddenly the mindset kicks in, and they go, "Ah, oh, I'm starting to see what a leader does versus what a manager does." Yeah, and and this is where I love to be working, and yeah, you know, over time, increasingly as I work with a scale up. The bit that I find myself loving and really happily asked to do a lot is is facilitate those those quarterly offsites because of course once we've created that space that ability for them to lift their heads up and look around and think well then how do we focus them yeah and uh, if we can focus them in a great way and help them to focus effectively and also make sure that that focus turns into discussion and thinking and that turns into the right strategic priorities and those are delivered 
before we're back off site uh, in 12 weeks' time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then things really start to cook on gas. That was good. Another broad area of, of huge agreement. Where did you go after that? Well, you covered off two of mine that I don't think they take too much thinking at her describing, actually, which is uh, yeah, systemization, automi- automation, uh, and also sort of capacity planning. As the organization scales, uh, we've got to be aware that the bad gets amplified and the good gets more difficult. And this is one of the reasons why every opportunity we get, we we systemize, we we standardize, we do things according to our know-how, our our best practice. We automate if we can. There's not a shortage of things to do. Automation is not about having fewer people. It's about being able to do more with our with our current teams and being able to do it consistently uh, and really deliver for our customers. So so that's in there. And then you know, scaling, we've got to get bigger. So we've got a capacity plan. We've got to plan our resources. And depending on the type of business we've got, you know, this can be quite different. Uh, if it's people intensive, you know, what's what's going to be our people requirements, our human resource requirement, and how are we going to get those people into the organisation ready for when we're going to need them? If we're a manufacturer, we're capacity planning. You know, when do we need the next unit alongside our our factory when do the machines get here are we going to have that production line up and running it running and the capacity online when we need it how long a runway does that capacity give us a new factory new production lines that's an 18 month exercise to get that in place and that capacity probably gets um used utilized over you know 24 36 months so this capacity planning bit you've got to get it right well you've seen that uh, in the, the wonderful business that i've brought you into that i work with a lot FlexiServe up in leicester led by the massively energetic jamie joyce and um you know you've seen their factory down there you've seen how they're getting this balance between we've got this pipeline we've got these customers we know what they're going to be looking for in the future we we've got to make that real judgment call of putting the money into the automation getting the factory right getting the the r&d right getting all that automation sorted out so that we can produce so many quality products within a given space of time in the understanding and our best understanding of what uh, and knowledge as you said earlier of what our customers are going to want not now but in six in nine months in 12 months and that's a real balancing act for businesses who are in the manufacturing space of, of getting really having that not just knowledge of what's going to happen but real good gut instinct of and, and, and i suppose based on great relationships with prospects and customers and markets and knowledge of your own capability and the ability to scale these things up over time to get that balance absolutely right so you're not caught off when the customer says i want 50 of these in the next 12 months and you're not ready you, you know you're not caught out in that sense or you've over allowed yourself to produce stuff and, and there's no customer at the end of it. And getting that right in a business is absolutely crucial for those sorts of businesses. Yeah, and I guess the the profile of that, you know, that profile you're describing there kind of comes fairly early in the scale up. It's not yet quite as predictable as it might become later on. But if we've got product market fit, that that progresses. 
and it becomes more the case that you know build it and they will come so you generate the capacity but you've got to have a good understanding about you know, how long is it going to take for that capacity uh, really to be utilized so each investment in a production line you know does that give us 18 months uh, of runway or does it only give us nine months of, of runway and when do we need to get the next one in you know and 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 so on so it, it you know it it shifts um, i'm thinking of an amazing filter manufacturer uh down the road uh from from me here and they're they're at a different place to to, to flexi serve and it just brings home how this sort of capacity planning is is a core competency of the business um i guess related to this one of my remaining two items is is quality metrics yeah what's the information what what's the information that enables us to have the, our finger on the pulse of our our business and what are the feedback loops that really enable us to understand and respond to the lead indicators that are you know the signals uh, important to the growth of our our business. Those will be in place. Yeah, I figured those out under the KPIs and the strategic priorities. I was thinking of KPIs coming from the strategic priorities early on, but absolutely quality metrics, also feedback loops in terms of customer feedback and uh, employee engagement feedback and all the kind of surveys you put in there and. I think the two things you've spoken about capacity planning and uh, two things which slightly tied together um, were on my list were a great resourcing strategy. So constantly looking for great people to bring in rather than being more reactive. Um, And and the the best organizations, again, I think have a, a pipeline of people they can turn to and say, well, you know, we need somebody now. We've talked about the, the fact that leadership teams need experience to add to what they've got and they can't develop it all from within usually. Um, getting the right people on the bus, getting them in the right seats, get, getting people who need to move to a different seats. So you've got a very good internal people plan, uh, ability to move people around and a transparent organisation and an honest organisation that are happy to get the wrong people off the bus and not wait too long to do that. So I kind of put all that under a kind of resourcing strategy. Sounds a grand term, but it's really having the right people where they should be. Yeah, absolutely. If your capacity is is your people, that's where the that's where the action is. Yeah, and it's about retention uh, as well as talent pooling, and it's about understanding how we can get the maximum potential out of each of our our people. It all ties really closely into culture and that team of teams and the relationship between culture and uh, performance. I think this leaves only one on my list that I've not touched upon. It's a dead simple one, which is we need a good financial runway. Yeah, let's aim for for 18 months. Uh, Scale-ups... Their finances work in all sorts of different ways, depending on what their plan is, how they got to where they are, the, the funding markets at different times along their their journey. But we need a good financial runway. Ideally, if we if we have an eighteen month financial runway, we know that the business is funded, you know, and and funded or profitable for for eighteen months in a way that enables us to 
invest confidently in our growth, in our capacity, you know, and take that decision to put the extra production line in or take that decision to stand up a new team in Madrid if that's what we what we need. You know, we need to be confident to to do that and part of that is our financial runway. No, absolutely get that. I think that's absolutely key. And where where is that coming from? Is it uh, external investment? Is it organic growth? What have we got in the bank? I mean, there's the whole there's a whole bunch of stuff around there. I had two areas mm-hmm. left. Are you sure you didn't do more than ten, Ian? I think you might have done more than ten. Yeah. No, I've, 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 no. Look, look, look. <laughs> Ten. So one of them we've kind of discussed it, but I put it as a separate one because I, actually I think both of us uh, are massively engaged with this area, which is I've called it growth, development, stretch, and feedback culture, and that is, and it goes from the top down. It's this growth mindset. It's as I've described it, self-propelled learning. People who are going to get books, podcasts, they're going to, they, they understand that they have a responsibility to learn themselves and grow. But coupled with that, a kind of instant feedback on successes and failures in, in the organization, which is in, in, embedded in the culture through kind of informal weekly one-to-ones. And, you know, there's instant discussions in the corridor to feedback to people. Stretch according to capability. I know I've always I've always challenged on that when I bring it up in meetings, but you know, not everyone can be stretched like you or somebody else in the room. We know that it's about individuals. And having, you know, a I hate the term performance management because it sounds so negative, but having having those one-to-ones, those those weekly and those monthly one-to-ones where we're gonna have informal and a bit more formal discussions so that people get the feedback they need. And I think in too many organizations still i see it other things are prioritized over having one-to-one discussions with people yeah okay i've got a lot to say on this topic thought you might (laughs) totally agree with you totally agree with you on that last point i would say we need a strong performance approach Mm -hmm. and this clarifies it for people it's it's a play on words but we could say that performance management is what we do when it's gone wrong Mm -hmm. and our performance approach is what we're doing when it goes right And I agree with everything you said. Equally, the whole topic of individual accountability versus team accountability, I think, is so important. Yet, in a scale-up, we are regularly going to create, uh, going to face challenges and new situations and uh, opportunities and problems that are bigger than any one person and bigger than their experience and inventiveness to to solve. And so if we've got individual accountability, there's a danger that individuals try and be heroic and solve these big problems on their own. However, if we can shift to having team accountability, then a team is so much richer, has so much more perspective and experience uh, and uh, capacity, and it can solve a bigger, more complex, more adaptive class of, of problems. So this is why I talk about team of teams inside the, the performance culture. A team is fantastic for integrating learning and performance. Mm. And if we can do that, we can we can really propel our scale up forward. Yeah, I think this, it's, a, it's a huge area. I've got one left. Yeah, because you did more than 10. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. 
And I feel I feel slightly I felt slightly guilty writing this down, but I'm surprised you haven't got it on your list, Ben. Great external advisors, coaches, and mentors. Well, it goes without saying, Ian. <laughs> uh, but I, I I suppose it's the world we live in. But I don't know anyone who's running a successful business who doesn't have a variety of these sorts of people um, who can bring the outside perspective in, who can challenge them objectively and who can bring certain skills to the party that they haven't got internally. So I think it's something that's on the list. It's it's right. Uh, of course, you and I, we spend every day, every week in, inside that, that bubble. Maybe that's why I didn't think of it, but, you know... Mm. Mm. There'll be plenty of sport on this weekend, elite sports. And people would be quick to point out if any elite sports person was not working with a coach. In fact, they're going to be working with a team of coaches yeah. uh, of, of different types. That's beginning to be true of the leaders of organisations of of all sizes. It's more and more normal that they understand that the only way that they're going to get their their best performance is by working with with a coach, uh, a number of coaches. It's what I meant earlier when I said that you know that that top leader who's gone from founder mode to CEO mode. I think they said they've done the inner work. Mm, mm-hmm, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the sort of stuff quite often we're doing with with coaches. So that's that's becoming more mainstream. I think you're right to put it on the menu. Yeah. What I think is not yet becoming more mainstream, and it's got to is team coaching mm-hmm. you know um and team coaching goes hand in hand with facilitating that top team in their strategic process that's the golden opportunity to do really impactful team coaching but time and time again i'll meet a new scale up and i'll meet the leadership team the core team they're a good team but they don't understand the fundamentals of how team teams operate. They don't understand where performance uh, originates in a team. They haven't thought about the difference between those of their tasks where they need to be like the athletics team. You know, they're they're running in individual events and they produce an an aggregate result. That's definitely going on uh, in a scale up company because we're running all of the functions. Yeah, and to an extent, those functions run independently of each other. But equally, we can be like the, the basketball team, yeah, where we play a point together and we win the point together. Yeah, and that's any transformation in the business which operates across the, the functions. We're going to have a lot of those in the scale-up, and I ran through you know, some of them earlier. But time and time again, I meet that team. They don't understand where performance comes from in a team and the importance of that stretching demand on the team. They've probably read Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. So they understand a bit about cohesivity uh, in the team, but they haven't understood it's not the whole picture. And But they haven't thought about how they need to be organised as a team and which of those tasks takes, you know, which formation in the team. And they probably haven't thought about topics like how do we learn? Mm. Mm. No, I, th- I think it, I think you're dead right. I think it's um, it's absolutely critical. It's a real competitive advantage when you get that top team working 
beautifully together, a kind of upgrading, as I use that self-propelled way, when they get it, when they realise what their role really is and, and what they can achieve, it's a bit like, uh, you know, the transformation that England cricket team have gone through under uh, this new coach mm. and the baseball style. It's a real cultural shift and they've all been told, play without fear, go out there and be who you are. And if you make a mistake, that's OK. And look what's happening. It's extraordinary. And and, and I think when a, when a organizational team suddenly realize what they can achieve how they need to grow it, it can be freeing within a within a within a sort of disciplined structure it can be freeing to realize look at what we can do as a business look where we could go as a business look rather than let's play at this let's really make something here that's extraordinary uh and what do i need to do to do that and what do we need to do as a team and it's uh, I, I think it's a real competitive advantage to get those senior leadership teams really singing and, uh, and producing together amazing performance. But as you say, just working with the CEO doesn't really do it. And you, but you've, you've got to get the team there really high performing underneath, cohesive and all those other things we've spoken about. And that's, uh, that's an amazing thing to start achieving. Yeah, and, and, and guess what? This is why... My team is my my company is called Leader and Team. Yeah, you got to work with the with the both of them. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, when, when this is going right, so uh, one one of the things that you and I can do is we, you know, you said that that team's really singing. Well, we can listen to what song they're singing, mm-hmm. and you know, are they singing a one X song? Are they are they singing a three X song? Is you know, is their is their thinking gonna 3x the business uh over a period of time are they singing a 10x song are they singing all three you know we can really improve their nudge them to be exploring those different songs and uh and achieve so much more hey ian 57 minutes 59 seconds so far we better wrap this up. We better wrap this up. And, you know, we did say, didn't we, in the few minutes before we got on the podcast, do you think this is a sort of 30-minuter? <laughs> and we said, well, let's give it a go in our usual way. Um, and uh, I think we both realised there was a lot of content here. But it's been great fun, Ben. Hasn't it? Hasn't it? And it's been really useful to think about what is so different about a scale-up and a start-up. My parting thought is is let's think about this in reverse. We've talked about uh, a bunch of prerequisites to scale up, and it's easy, isn't it, to think about putting each of these in place? Mm. Instead, let's imagine that we've got them all in place and one of them falls away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think you could pick almost anything on our list this afternoon from you know, a simple point like financial runway, if that falls away, mm. to the, the culture falling away or the customer acquisition not being solid, you know, being inconsistent and unpredictable and unreliable. It only takes one of these to fall away and the scale-up stops, yep. stops growing. I, I, I'd even take that a step further and say, Take these 10 or 12, might be if you combine our two lists, put them into a flywheel, score them, and then focus on where your low scores are or where actually you haven't, or where you've got a piece of that flywheel missing. Mm-hmm. Because um, as you've said, if there's one part of this not there, 
it's going to really slow you down. Mm-hmm. You've got to mention flywheels. <laughs> and I was thinking flywheels and I decided, hey, we're, we're up an hour. I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> but now you've got to mention it. And, and I'm not sure you could fit all of these points into a flywheel, but I was thinking, hey, strategy, you know, it's, it's so clear. It's so well-defined. Flywheels in a scale-up, and we're talking about Jim Collins' mm. flywheel concept from, mm. from good to great, you know, and, and those series of things that we need to do consistently and repetitively. And when we do that, the organization grows and grows and grows, and it grows at a faster pace. This is such a valuable way of articulating strategy in a scale-up, because, of course, the flywheel only begins to work once we figured out all of those different pieces of you know all of those different points of the flywheel yeah which is kind of another way of saying yeah we've nailed the startup phase Mm. we've figured everything out it's really clear it's all repeatable you know we know our best practice if you like we've got our know-how we know what to do now we just need to turn the wheel in a scale up let's have flywheels please Mm. they're so useful (laughs) and everyone can understand them yeah 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 we can we can draw them on the wall we put them on the whiteboard. We can score uh, exactly as you say. A great question: um, Where is the break on our flywheel? You know, Mark, Martin Flick, uh, who I've worked with, load CEO of OneCom at the moment. He still does this. He has the the flywheel up on the board, and he asks his team, "Where is the break on our flywheel right now?" Great question, Martin. Perfect. On the words from a, a great CEO, we should probably close off and uh, let everyone go and have a life. Let's do that. <laughs> Good to chat with you, Ben. Thanks, Ian. See you back here. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.